This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 132 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. How's that for an old school intro? All right, so after we get all caught up, we're going to talk some education. We'll be discussing ghost notes and talking really about when you should use them. So if you could do them, how do you know when you should be playing ghost notes and when a groove is better without them? Our featured artist this time is Mr. Eric Harlan. In our gear review section, I'll be checking out a Doc Sweeney 14 by 7 14 by 5.75 steam bent myrtle drum 14 by 5.75 myrtle steam bent snare drum 14 by 14 by 5.75 myrtle steam bent snare drum we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions and as always we'll give you our picks of the week so let's get started boom i know we're in time i can feel it it's gonna be an awesome day <laughs> you and i are just flying already buddy <laughs> i know we wasted how much time already 15 minutes <laughs> it's all and good. i would say wasn't all negative some of it was kind of positive <laughs> we get it out of our system and then we get to do this uh how are you i'm doing pretty well i don't have any uh any news i'm not as dark and and depressed as i was last week and definitely not Dude, as brain fine, damaged that's actually it's very similar to the rehearsals that i have with my band are myself and my guitar player dino we are really just like a slight bit above third graders when it comes to just Mm -hmm. anything but q our bass player he never messes up he's always on point he's very responsible and man when he messes up the celebrations that ensue (laughs) in our practice like we're running laps we're shooting off fireworks so when when the always together Michael Dawson is a little scatterbrained, you have no idea what kind of day I had. I was like, yeah, you know, he I, is human. As I was All editing, right. I could have swore that my audio file was like slowed down by like twenty five percent. Like, what is I wrong with you? <laughs> well, I, I think you did just fine, buddy. And, and one hundred thirty two episodes in, you get a hall pass. Uh, First of all, let's talk about that groove that got us here. Rigo. Rigo. That was fantastic. Samba. So he sent some info about that. I And, of course, I closed the email. Do you have it open? What did he say? What's he got? Yeah. Let's see. I got oh. it. Oh. So he's playing so a we shamed Pearl him. Masters custom kit. Mm-hmm. 2003-2004, he's got... A 10 by 9, good mm. man. 12 by 10, good man. Way to call out the sizes by the diameter first. <laughs> I don't know where, so he's you get, got some, where do you get 9-inch batter heads. I have no idea where that, how you do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. Uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, he's got uh, a big drum. That's a big drum set, 22 by 20. That's a cannon. That's a big bass drum. I think his snare drum, he has GMR, but I think that's GMS, a 6 and a half by 14 GMS I would Revolution so. Maple. Those drums are cool because they have a oh it's like gosh. a ply maple shell, and they I don't know how they do it, but they like spray metal inside of it. Really? Really neat. So there's like a brass, like a thin layer of brass inside the maple. Awesome. 
Awesome. Pretty, pretty happening. Uh, well, he sounded great. Thanks, Rigo, for getting us in. And you guys, if you want to be featured in the podcast, in the intro or the outro, just keep sending your intro, outro grooves to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com and always include the info so we know how you recorded it and what kind of kit you're using. Helps us get to know you guys a little better. Uh, dude, I'm stoked on everything in the world right now like <laughs> i'm stoked about my pick of the week i'm stoked about our featured artist i just uh texted our featured artist on instagram he still doesn't he doesn't know that he's being the featured artist but oh, cool. i had to watch so many videos of eric today i was just like uh i'm gonna hit this guy up who i've never talked to and i was like i'm sure you hear it i i literally was hitting on him like the way a guy hits on a girl like i'm sure you hear this every day but in case you didn't you're very beautiful <laughs> And I pretty much said that. I said, I'm sure you hear this a million times a day, but it can't hurt to hear it one more time. You're a freaking genius and oh. you're you're amazing. So I don't care. Well, I mean, Eric, you might get a card from me in the mail. <laughs> you could you imagine in the 90s being able to just like hit up your favorite drummers like that and have it be totally acceptable and OK. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is a part of me that's like. Oh God! What if he doesn't know who I am? I'm full out fan guy right now. Yeah. Like I'm just. But that's okay. Like, yeah, though. Thanks, appreciate it. <laughs> it is okay. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, you know, when we get those things, I'm super appreciative. It's like, oh, thanks, appreciate. It. I, I'm glad that you even know that I exist. That's fantastic. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be a, a good, a good energetic podcast. I can feel it. So you're mostly excited because you now have new toys. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, excited and frustrated too. I mean, learning the new language. So what Mike's talking about is I recently upgraded my entire camera setup, which I've been using the same Canon C100 cameras to do all of my videos for the last two and a half, three years. And before that I was using uh, Canon 6D and Canon DSLRs. So I'm very, very familiar with the world of Canon and I wanted to upgrade things. I wanted to get 4K cameras, if not 6K cameras, uh, and I just wanted to go to that next step with my video content, and there's a reason for that, especially for any of you that are like, you don't need 4K, nobody's got a 4K monitor. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> um, but uh, but anyways, the, uh, the 4K version uh, that I wanted from Canon, the one that I really liked, is just the body alone is $8,000, and since wow. I need three of them, that's... I don't know if my math is right, but I think that's $24,000. That is not yeah. just for the hobby. <laughs> no, and that is not fun to take that conversation home to the wife. Uh, so so anyways, so I was like, okay, that's a possibility. Or maybe I go the, uh, the GH5 route, the Panasonic GH5 route. And so I, I do what I always do. I buy one from Amazon Prime knowing that I'm going to return it. And I just tested out. And so I kept it for two days and I just really fell in love with it. I sent you a little test footage. I don't know if you're able to see it. Yep. Um, but it's just, at least in my room and the way that I'm shooting with the lights that I have, man, I couldn't be happier. I am in love with this camera. So I ordered two more of them and got the Metabone speed boosters for them. And now, so my rig now is a Panasonic GH5. I also bought the GH5S. I actually like the GH5 better. The GH5S is just supposed to perform better in low light. I don't really have low light. And the autofocus is better. Great for vloggers, but I don't do any vlogging. So I don't walk with my camera pointed at me. So I don't need autofocus. Um, so I like the GH5 better and it's a few hundred dollars less. So, uh, so yeah, so got that and then just spent hundreds of hours. I mean, literally the last week, 
I would say 90% of my day, I'm just sitting on YouTube watching videos on color grading, <laughs> yeah, all this stuff. And I just love that really though. learning this camera. Yeah. I do too. That's my, that's why I'm so juiced up right now. Is Cause like <laughs> love hobbies. They rule. <laughs> I'm going to start playing golf next. Oh, no, because I will not talk about golf clubs. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I won't either. But, yeah, so I'm really excited. So I switched that. So my rig now is uh, the camera bodies that I have are Panasonic GH5s. And then I've got the Metabone Speed Booster. And then I'm using my Sigma Art Series lenses with those. So any videos you see of me moving forward will be with that rig. So what is it that gives it that, I don't know, you don't call it jitter. What is that? Is that the 4K? I mean, I'm so illiterate in this world. It makes it look so hyper-detailed. Like, you can see the stick moving almost like a, like a what do you call that, yeah, strobe so light almost. Okay, so that's actually the shutter speed. So I was, so generally you want your shutter speed. If you want the most natural look possible, you're going to want your shutter speed to be double of your frame rate. So if you're shooting at 24 frames per second, you're going to want 50 Shutter, your shutter speed at 50. If you're 30 frames per second, you want your shutter speed at 60. Right. I juiced up the shutter speed to 100, and I'm shooting at 30 frames per second, and that's giving it that kind of surreal look because I'm just messing around with... For education, oh, no, I'll okay. definitely do the norm, but for that video that I sent you, I had the shutter speed juiced up just a little bit to give it that almost that strobe glitch to it that yeah. makes it hyper-realistic. Yeah, it's neat, but it, it's almost confusing at times to watch. Too yeah, much for of that. for my educational videos, I'll, everything will be the norm. Um, that just happened to be one pass that I was trying that out, Very seeing cool. where. Like, if you look at Luke Holland's videos, jacked up shutter speed, right? Because uh-huh. you can like see his sticks like bending and stuff. Yeah, right. That's shutter speed. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, so learn something. Now, there you now go. for the uh, camera podcast with Mike and Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could you imagine? You think we get ripped up on this? Could you imagine us trying to spout about cameras and lenses? We would get torn to pieces. Oh, man. Do you use a flash? Like, you, you don't even know how to say Nikon. Is it Nikon? Is it Nikon? It's like, I don't know. Is it Zildjian? Is it Zidian? Is Zidian. it Peisty? Is it Pasty? I don't know. I have to call him. Anyway, so what's. Well, yeah, Tama, Tama. <laughs> Uh, what's going on with you, man? Oh man, just more of the same. I mean, I um, good. I don't nothing, nothing to report. Actually, this week I took a lot of time to just kind of chill because I haven't had much of that. So my evenings were much more yeah. relaxed. I didn't feel like I wanted to force myself into the studio to work on stuff. So nice, you know, nothing really, nothing, nothing's. Well, new. I have something. <laughs> I have something to ask you. This is something that I would be asking you uh, before the podcast world took our lives over and before you and I stopped being friends because we have to talk for one hour a week. (laughs) So you know that I'm working on prototype snares with with Gretsch and stuff and you know that like Mm -hmm. I've been kind of in snare obsession mode. So I've acquired uh, quite a few snare drums Mm -hmm. recently. I'm realizing that any really good snare drum is fairly versatile. Versatile. It's going to have, it's going to do the almost every snare I own and I think Aaron Sterling said this Every snare he owns can go, and I realized, yeah, almost every snare will do that really well. So I have that, Mm -hmm. and every snare can get cranked up pretty high and does the medium thing fine. So what I'm noticing, the major difference isn't really just the sound. It's the feel as I'm hitting the drum. I can have all of my drums tuned exactly the same with the TuneBot, and they do not feel the same. They do not respond the same. Mm -hmm. The rebound isn't the same. Some of them feel like I'm hitting just a... a chunk of rock. Some of them feel more like I'm hitting a trampoline. Yeah. And I'm wondering 
how much that plays into our psyche of thinking this snare drum's awesome because it feels so good to play because they all sound good once you're into high-end snare drums but some of them feel really good to play that's true yeah i think my uh like a case for me would be my old slingerland snare but if i tune it high it's it it's like it sounds like it feels like it's going to explode like it's just right. not right something's just wrong uh, i can't totally. i think so i think like six lug drums are really not good like with with the tuning way up mm-hmm. so yeah it is definitely a feel thing and i think that's kind of why um I search for a drum that can do that medium low sound really well because that's the feel and the sound that I use most often. But not every drum can do that. Like I think right. where it's still you still kind of get some resistance, but it has a nice soft feel. Um, not every drum can do that. So yeah, I guess it is. No, I've really noticed too that especially I got a chance to play Carter's new snare, his signature snare, yeah. uh, the George Way one, and then I have the uh, Danette Titanium here. And Ron makes really good feeling snares. Obviously, they yeah. sound great. I mean, we can just admit that all high-end snares sound great for the most part. But but his snares feel really good. And when you keep tuning it down, it's like, why is there so much rebound on this drum when I've tuned it this low? Mm. I can still get little buzz ghost strokes, you know, into my downbeats and stuff. But I'm at a low tuning, and so I'm just I'm now that I have realized that I actually care about it. And now I'm going in and I'm caring about okay, it sounds amazing, but how does it feel? Because I'm going to be playing this every day, you know? Yeah, and I think the hoops will be a lot, have a lot to do with that too. mm, Like single flange hoops, I think would be the ones that would not feel so great for me in in a higher tuning. It would just, again, it'll feel like it's just going to explode. Like the drum just isn't, isn't capable of holding. And die cast, I think is a, is a very stiff feel that works for certain things. Yeah, those are the, those are the two ends of the spectrum. I mean, die casts are probably my favorite when I'm about to go for like a sampled cross stick sound. Yeah. When I look down yeah. and I see those die cast tubes, I'm like, we're going to be fine. Yeah. It's going to go Vinny. Or that medium, that medium high tuning. I think it, that's kind of perfect for that. It can kind of just like, yeah, it just sure. pops right through and there's not a lot right. of everything else. Overtone. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, something to, to think about it, you know, for sure is going into testing out snare drums how does it feel when you play it does that change your tuning are you now exploring different tunings no i think my i think what i'm looking for is the drum that feels the best in my tuning mm. Interesting. i don't want to because i like the sound that i'm getting and i'm it was just something i noticed uh swapping snares in and out recently trying to find what i'm looking for and trying to find what i really love because the prototype gretsch snare we did we're not even close to being done with it it was first run and the second version is already underway and it's quite a bit different. And so I was trying to figure out while I'm telling them what I want to be different, what do I like in other drums? And finding things out like I like the way a five and a half feels mm. as just the response more than a five. The five is a little um, like hitting a piece of solid wood. It, it doesn't kind of give as much as the five and a half. It's only a half inch difference, but I can tell the difference from drum to drum when I tune them exactly the same. Now, what about the number of lugs? Because all of Ron's lug drums are eight lugs. It's a good so point. Are you going yeah. with a 10? Have you messed around with it? I have a couple 10s. A lot of Gretsch drums come with 10s. And then um, the prototype I have is an eight. Okay. And I like the eight a lot. Um, I, I, For me, I think it's also a visual thing of just seeing 10 lugs on a drum is just so much metal yeah. all over the place. True. Um, so, yeah, I, eight, like six looks sparse to me. Yeah. I have uh, 
the Gretsch Dixieland I have is a six, and it just looks like, hey, did, did you guys run out of lungs? <laughs> yeah. And then ten just looks like, yeah, there's lungs everywhere. <laughs> I can't get away from them. So, so anyway, something for us to maybe explore in future things. Now, talking about feel and the way snares feel, let's talk about ghost notes. Okay. And not in the way we've talked about them in the past. In the past, we've talked about how to develop your ghost notes. I want to talk about if you already have ghost notes and you, you have good control over your left hand, musically – there's some grooves when you hear uh, Gravity by John Mayer. That thing would be ruined if Steve just starts ghosting the hell out of it, yeah, right? right. And then, and then there's sometimes where we think there's more ghosts than there are, and a good example of that would be Rosanna. Everyone ghosts the hell out of Rosanna. Right. And it's like, go listen to it. He just had one at the beginning and one at the end. You yeah, know? he doesn't do the full thing until much later in the song. Much later in the song, yeah. right. And, and those two little ghost notes, because you got that... And that little triplet, it's like, oh, it propels it. Mm-hmm. But how do you know? So I guess my question to you would be, let's say somebody gives you a, a track, uh, some stems, no drums on it whatsoever. And you can tell it's going to be just in that nice 90 BPM pocket world. Do you play it straight and then busy it up and see if it's too much? Or do you just do the first thing that comes to your head and never question it? How do you know whether to ghost or not to ghost? Inevitably, this, I have the kind of the same process. I get a song, I listen to it away from the drums, and then I kind of, you know, theorize what I think would be the best drum part, just kind of in my head what would what would sound right. And then I get to the kit and I try that, and nine times out of ten, that doesn't sound right at all. <laughs> so, oh, really? So okay. inevitably, I have to just kind of just let my instinct go and just play, and then I come up with something that's maybe sort of like what I originally thought, but maybe completely different. That happened to me. Uh, over the weekend, I did a track for someone that's completely different than what I originally thought. But when, really? it, when it comes to the ghost notes, uh, I'm actually listening more to what's already there or what I know is going to be there. If there's a ton of acoustic guitar chugging along, then the ghost notes are just going to conflict with all the strumming and it's going to be just a mess. So if it's a real, sp- it just depends. If it's more of a groove, bass, drums kind of a feel, then I think there's more more space for me to color it up. But knowing what about this? most of the songs I do are pop, you know, with pretty dense productions, I, I tend to say don't play any ghost notes unless it needs to be there to add some sort of propulsion or something. Propulsion? Would Is that you? the word? <laughs> propulsion. <laughs> uh, if JPL gets involved, then yeah, you're going to want a little propulsion. Uh, so... Uh, let me ask you this. Would you know if there were ghost notes? Is there ever a time where you're just ghosting and you don't even know it's happening? In I mean, a recording yeah. If it's, if it's that kind of like 90 BPM funk pattern that everybody plays at NAMM shows, then we all play right. all the ghost notes. Then I probably yeah. would just throw a bunch of Dennis Chambers ghost notes in there. <laughs> that was so passive aggressive. But you that know, so, you know exactly so, what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about because we talk about it, but that's... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about because we make fun of it. And that that groove, it's just the thing where people go there and they say, I want to demo your kit. And all they do is demo the <laughs> snare kick and hat. And I don't understand it, but it is what it is. Yeah. So, Anyways, I, so my point is, yes, I probably default to that. But um, I am very conscious of making sure my ghost notes are extremely low. So they're almost inaudible anyway. Right. So it's more of if if you you know solo the snare mic or something you might hear it, but I kind of want it to be invisible in the track if I do it just for my own, right. you know, to kind of keep the groove moving forward. But sure. you know, the more 
the more recording I do, the more I know that stuff is just gets in the way, especially when you start laying on shakers and acoustic guitars. So even right. though I may want to do it, it may be fun. I try to just say no ghost notes unless I have to, unless it needs to be there. That's And I think that's what I really like about the Picaro thing in the beginning of Rosanna is the two ghost notes that are in that groove. And that groove is 24 notes mm. per measure. I I think they actually stand out and they add to it and they propel it forward and give it that propulsion that you were trying to say. <laughs> they give it that forward momentum. And I think it's something where when we're just sitting down on the kit, we might not know how active our left hand is being because we're so, especially when we're playing by ourselves, we're so worried about filling in all the space. And it's, it's this yeah. Instagram, YouTube generation of drummers playing by themselves. But with music, Man, I mean, I sat down with a student yesterday, and the reason this came up is I sat down with a student, and he took us. Uh, I gave him a drumless track, and he took a pass at it, and I said, "Okay, here's how we're going to work this out. Let's go. I want you to go back out there again, and you're going to play the standard pop rock beat, kick on one and three, snare on two and four, eighth note hi hats, nothing else, and you're going to play it through the whole song. Resist temptation. Play nothing else. Then we're going to come back in here in the control room. And we're going to listen to it, and we're going to listen to." And we're going to go top down and we're going to start at the hi-hats. Could those hi-hats have done anything else that would have made this song better? Yeah. Could there have been less of them? Could there have been more of them? Could they had a quarter note push accent, maybe an upbeat accent? And then once we get that hi-hat worked out, then we're going to go down to the snare and say, is two and four enough? Should it have been somewhere else? Displaced backbeat? Should there have been a couple ghost notes? Or And then once we get the snare down, then we're going to go to the kick and we're going to just craft your part. And then he went back out there and played the song and it sounded like like a like the track i was like nice. uh yeah this is perfect so that's one way to approach it and part of that to me is okay when we get to the snare drum if we agree that two and four are our primary notes for the backbeat what about adding ghost notes now in a in a foo fighter situation i'd add snares and they wouldn't be ghost notes i might go cat 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 yeah that's more um, a part of the pattern Right. Yeah. But in, in, in the ghost note world, it's like I want my students to understand adding boom, cat, boom, cat, boom, cat. That one ghost note completely changed the groove because now you've introduced a 16th note where before we had only eighth notes. But that one 16th note gave us a new grid. Now there's this grid of 16 notes. Mm-hmm. Even though you're only playing one of them, it's there, it's present. And why is it there? Are you doing it just because, I don't know, that's how I learned it? Or are you doing it because it's actually adding to the music? That's true. I mean, that's... I'm like I think listening yelling at you. <laughs> <laughs> I think a good... I mean, listening to Steely Dan records, that's, that's a good way to study that because that stuff was recorded so meticulously. And, right. and I'm always shocked by how simple the drums actually are, which is contrasting what Man. I think they are. They're, that is so true. I... Same student yesterday. He's a fantastic drummer, by the way. And we were doing a private lesson. And one of the things we talked about, and this isn't really part of the ghost notes thing, but was crashing. I said, dude, you you have like crash syndrome. You're over crashing constantly with no musical reason for it. And so we came in and we listened to a song and I said, like, let's listen to a song and count the crashes. And now, obviously, rock is its own animal. It's a very crash-centric music. Right. Yeah. But we were listening to some pop, and I was like, dude, they're not even crashing going into the chorus. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's so few crashes. And and you're, you know, and the natural thing for a drummer that doesn't play a lot of recorded music or doesn't track a lot of music is every fourth bar, hit a big round shiny. 
Yeah, it's like doesn't matter what's going on. Whenever you need a, a mental break, yeah, just hit the exactly. That's it's crash. a mental reset. So, <laughs> uh, so I think the moral of the story here is if you are going to be putting ghost notes into your drumming when it's being played along with music, please know that it needs to be a conscious decision, not just a lazy. Well, this is just the kind of groove that my hands. I mean, are doing. so here's a question for you. Yeah, in the world of you know Instagram drummers and YouTube drummers. I get exhausted when I see someone just play with a 30-second note subdivision and they play all the notes. Even though there might be contour up and down, it's just like you're playing all the 30-second notes. There's not a single gap there. But when I see someone just play a basic groove, Aaron Stern would be the example for me, and he might do one buzz with the left hand. I'm like, why is that so much more impactful for me? I know it's not for everyone. Some people love just ripping drummers but i think it's i think it's just a maturity thing i think it's it's you know part of growing and and realizing okay when i see all 32 notes i know that i could do that so easily by just figuring out uh, there's only there's 32 notes that i have to figure out so if i figure out the first one now there's only 31 notes what did he hit second what did uh, she hit yeah, third right. it's pattern, they hit fourth? pattern based it's a pattern yeah. i gotta learn all 32 no big deal there's only 32 of them i can memorize that when Aaron plays a groove that I've been playing my whole life, but then he puts one buzz in and I don't know why the hell he did it, then my mind's blown. But it's yeah. like, oh, I never would have thought to do that. I have the ability. I just never would have thought to do that. And I think that that's part of the maturity thing. Even the video I just sent you was me testing out material for my next YouTube video. And that's a 30 second note. It's eight 30 second notes out of 32 and then the rest are 16th notes mm-hmm. but i'm doing that very much so because i know exactly who i'm trying to attract and i know i'm not trying to get aaron sterling to sign up for mike's lessons.com <laughs> i'm true, trying true. right i'm not worried about him yeah, yeah, i'm yeah. trying to get the person that loves all 32 notes to be like oh okay and then they step into my world and learn the real education stuff but yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a reason for doing that so uh so yeah so i i, I i'm with you man and i think the the cool thing is that we have access to all of it and we get to decide what we love um but i think we also can all realize that level of steve jordan aaron sterling matt chamberlain stuff where you just kind of go okay that's a step above because that's the same crap that i do and can do and i can't make it sound like that yeah it's like the i think for me it's it's tastefulness it's having the ability and knowing when to do it rather than i've got all this ability and i have to do it all the time that's defining quality for me and i'd still again i love seeing guys just play the heck out of the drums but i just get exhausted and ready to move on so quickly it's like okay i agree well and i think i think also we got a little messed up when when instagram was introduced to us as drummers and we knew that we could gain some fame from it but they were only giving us 30 seconds and we had to Mm. catch everyone's attention in True. five seconds because yeah. we saw the analytics that nobody watched our videos for more than 10 seconds. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I got to put in 32 notes. That's so right artful. <laughs> I know, right? And it's just like, ah. And then what happens is you do that for three mm. or four years and then the Ash Stones and the Aaron Sterling start to stand out because I've yeah. heard all the notes. I've heard all the notes in the world. Uh, so yeah. Well, let's talk about somebody that is extremely artful and tasteful. Let's but, talk about. But Mr. can also be noty when he wants to be too. Uh, dude's got some clean singles. He's got those <laughs> Will Kennedy singles around the kit, man. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about Mr. Eric Harland, and Eric is an absolute monster. I was made aware of him not through his music, but I was made aware of him a, quite a long time ago because he was the first person that I ever saw 
tackled jazz online drum lessons with Jazz Heaven. Do you remember that? Jazzheaven.com? Yeah, actually, I have the DVD right here. I was going to make sure we talked about it. Oh, no way. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, so, and that wasn't uh, recent. I mean, that was, when was that? I'm looking for the year. It's not on here. Uh, Okay. Yeah, it's not even listed. I don't even know. But I remember seeing that on YouTube and just going like, oh, wow, somebody tackled jazz. Like, but with legit DVD level production, yeah. And I was just blown away, and and I was blown away by his drumming and his musicality and everything about his playing just really impressed me. And the other thing that impressed me was he was on camera speaking to the camera, and what I had envisioned in my head of master jazz drummer was not coming out. What was coming out was, mm. hey, I'm a guy and I practiced really hard. And I love this music, but I'm I'm just like you. And it was very, I just I just didn't feel like it was overwhelming, and I didn't feel like he was talking down to me. Mm-hmm. And now, yeah. do you know Eric at all? Uh, not really. I mean, I got to sit in on a. Um, he was doing one of those loop loft uh, libraries yep. with um, library. I always say that word like I'm definitely from the south. Library. Um, <laughs> he was doing one of those with Charlie Hunter. In, oh, okay. in Brooklyn at, at Bunker Studios. So I went to just kind of observe and check it out. And, you know, I had been aware of Eric and a fan of him since, gosh, I think a, it would have been 2004 when when he first played which, on a Charles Lloyd record. I think it was Jumping the Creek. That record came into the office, and uh, I didn't even know who was on it. I just listened to it and immediately just fell in love with that band and just the whole vibe. That band... Um, at the time, and I think they still kind of play this way. It was very spacious. It was kind of just freeform improv with bits of compositions interweaved in, but never like full on noise, just very kind of respectful improvisation. And his drumming just blew me away. First time I ever heard someone do the two sticks in one hand on the hi hat thing, like fanning oh, it yeah, top yeah. and bottom. Yeah. There's a track on there where he's just ripping like 30 second notes on the hi hat for a long time. Um, anyway, so I went to that session to just observe. That was a couple of years ago. Um, and to get to see him in person, again, it's that, you know, what someone sounds like on record and video is one thing, but when you hear them in a room and get to feel the air moving. Feel them moving air. Yep. Oh, my God, yep. it's a whole different experience. I mean, his his pocket was so relaxed but confident, and, like, it was like – it sounded like yeah. he'd already recorded the drums and he'd already mixed them, but it was just in the room. He was just playing simple grooves and like, dang, how are you doing that? How are you getting that bass drum to sound that big, <laughs> playing he's, that quiet? He's pretty incredible. I mean, the the discography that he has, the people that he's played with is out of control. I mean, obviously, like you said, uh, Charles Lloyd's quartet, and but he's been with uh, Dave Holland. And then yeah. I'm really, I, I spent today... While I was kind of cleaning up the studio, just listening to it was uh, the one that he does with Joshua Redman, um, James Farm. So oh, the name yeah. of the group is James Farm, and that's Joshua Redman, Aaron Parks, Matt Penman, and then Eric Harlan. And they have a 2014 album called City Folk, and it was just like, yes, this is another one of those gateway albums for the non-jazz drummer. Mm-hmm. It, you can listen to it and you don't have to be like, eh, I'm not really into jazz. It's like, man, it's just good music. Um, and just watching him play, there's a lot of things that he does 
that I just there, it's weird to say this at 41 years old, but there's a few things he does where I go, man, I hope I sound like that when I grow up. I know um, <laughs> yeah. it's just like, oh, what the hell? And the yeah. one thing that I love about Eric Strumming is that his vocabulary is so insanely vast that he never sits on something and exhausts it. He hints at a million different things. Yeah. So you can he shifts be this, real quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like he's like doing the fusion thing and like all of a sudden you could have sworn something drum and bassy happened, but by the time you perked up your ears, it's already gone. Yeah. Totally. And then you just go, okay, but he couldn't have done that unless he studied Jojo Mayer, unless he studied drum and bass um, and, and got into that. And then by the time that's gone, there's one displaced backbeat, but not displaced, but one late backbeat that gives you just a D'Angelo feel for a second. And then he's back into fusion but somehow it all flows together beautifully. If yeah. I did that, it would sound like I had drumming Tourette's. <laughs> It'd be like, we know he's, beat, he's from that that night at early '90s Houston, Texas scene with Chris Dave. Yes. And yeah, so that it's kind of I think you look at those two guys, Eric and Chris, and you can see that they definitely influenced each other. But then you see how each one went a slightly different way. Eric went way and more of the jazz world, and Chris right. went way more of the you know the hip hop experimental world. And I'm not sure age wise, but I think Sput was part of that scene too. Yeah, I don't um, know. I, yeah, maybe. I mean that maybe. that that program is. It's, yeah. I'm always so, blown away by by the talent that comes out of that program. Um, I know. Yeah, but but yeah, I mean, definitely, Eric. If you haven't seen him, the good thing about Eric is, unlike some of the drum, drummers we've covered in the past, he's very active in social media. So you can find a million videos of him on YouTube, follow him on Instagram for sure, because his Instagram feed, the one thing that I get the most out of Eric's Instagram feed is what an amazing songwriter and producer he is. Yeah. He's a great drummer, but he's always putting up clips where he's playing piano. And I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. And his his setup is always evolving. He's always trying new things. I mean, he was one of the first guys I saw do like multiple hi hats and kind of like, effect symbols as hi-hats and right. you know taping stuff and also on that jazz heaven I, I don't know if he was one of the first maybe him and chris were both on it but he was using i think all snare drums on his kit like his rack tom was a snare cool. drum yeah 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 and oh I'd no and that was that at that a time where no one knew what that was yeah so it's like okay well That'll never last, (laughs) or it'll become the biggest thing ever. Hey, do you think we can, uh, I think legally we should be fine. Can we throw in a little clip of, it's just, uh, it says Eric Harlan, Berkeley Soundcheck Part 1. Sure. Let's try it. So anyway, that's Eric Harlan. I'm going to actually going to be calling out one of my favorite albums that he's on as my pick of the week. So we'll re- we'll come back to him in a few nice. minutes. But nice. Uh, before we get into anything else, we got to thank Dream for being our sponsor again. Uh, they're sponsoring this episode, and I believe they still have some of their 10th anniversary 24. I think they are. They're pretty crazy. Check them out. Go to their website. 
um, go to your dealer and request it. Um, they're pretty neat. So thank Dream for sponsoring the show. And we are now going to dig into what do you have there? What, a myrtle? You have a myrtle snare drum? Doc Sweeney. Don't you worry about what I've got. <laughs> I've got it. I've got that thing right here. Look at this. It is myrtle. It's what a gorgeous wood. Um, I would say. Uh, I don't want to even mention. I was going to say what the wood looks like, but I don't want to mention it because I know some woodologist will freak out on me and be like, it's nothing like birch. Are you kidding? Birch has more burl. Um, I would say it's it's definitely just got a nice elongated horizontal grain to it. And as far as the drum itself, it's a 14 by 5.75 Myrtle Snare. It's got, um, what do you call these types of lugs are they single single point. point yeah single point single point lugs so you don't have a lot of mass on the shell it is a 10 lug drum but because you have the single point lugs there's not a lot of metal on the shell and they have uh, that kind of smoky chrome or black chrome finish to them mm. just gorgeous on the hoops as well it's got a trick throw off the three position throw off and this is a steam bent shell so this was my first chance getting to play a steam bent shell. And so I talked to Steve over at Doc Sweeney. He sent me two steam bent shells, a maple and a myrtle. And this one is just incredible. And we'll get, we'll listen to it in just a second. But before we listen to the sound, guys, just know that there's no muffling on the drum. You guys know my setup. I only have two mics. I have an overhead and a bass drum mic. So there's no snare mic. You're just hearing a raw overhead mic, uh, no reverb or anything like that. But I will say this, uh, the drum shipped with an Aquarian Studio X head. So that head has like a muffling ring underneath it. Single ply head, but with a little muffling ring. So the, the drum is a little more muted than it would be if you just had a your standard Remo Ambassador or Aquarian single ply texture coated or Evans G1 coated. So let's give it a listen and then we'll talk about it. So for me, that illustrates why I think solid steam bent shells are are preferable to ply shell for me, because it has okay. some like metallic like character, some overtones that that aren't in a ply shell very often. Well, and to what Steve was telling me is how could they be when you have six layers of glue right. insulating yeah, the drum, not vibrating, yeah. Right, and so and that's how he described it. He described the glue as insulation. And mm-hmm. and the one thing he said is, and you could tell, it wasn't a my drums are better than plied shells vibe at all. It was just a these are two different animals. A plied shell is generally modern day plied shell is going to be six plies and glue in between every single one of those plies. So you have a glue and wood drum. His drums are steam bent, so it's just wood, and there's one little seam of glue where they the two butt together. Right, but that, it's not really affecting the sound at all. So. One thing that I noticed right away was 
super versatile drum for sure. I've never played a myrtle drum. Did you were you able to look up the hardness of this wood? Yeah, it looks like it's right around the yellow birch, um, just below okay. red oak and a little bit below ash. To give you a reference, the myrtle was like what I say 1270. 1270 um and like an african mahogany is 830 so you go like okay. the extreme soft sound of african mahogany but then let's go up to something super hard um coca bola is 2960 <laughs> or ebony so is like cement. 32 yeah okay, so it's cool, it's cool. kind of i think it's right in that medium hard kind of Range. Yeah, I mean, it definitely didn't strike me as, oh my gosh, this is so much different than maple. What did yeah. strike me is, oh my gosh, steam bent shells are loud as hell. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a little bit they, softer than than sugar maple, believe it or not. Okay. So it's... Okay. Yeah, I was really surprised with the projection of steam bent shells because he sent me yeah. two and both of them just jumped off the... If you're into wood drums, but you're in a rock band, I would say this is like the the bell brass of wood and i don't mean how hard it is i just mean as far as steam bent shells just project differently than plied shells it, it may be just the way that there's so much stress on the wood i don't know what it is but this thing just projects like crazy how did it obviously feel? it felt amazing it feels really good i i mean the drum itself you can just tell that doc sweeney's snare drums are no joke when it comes to craftsmanship i know you've reviewed a few in the past yeah and just every part of it is just really well done. But yeah, I was really, really impressed with just the overall build quality. And then, God, looking inside of one of these drums. Can you hear the snares rattle? <laughs> um, there, it's just gorgeous. Now, I will say this. He's got 30 strand snares on the bottom. Uh, okay. So not the major fat 40s and not the normal 20, but he's got 30 strand snares on the bottom. And overall, I think this at five and a half, or sorry, 5.75 inches deep, this is just that, hey, I need a workhorse wood snare drum that also has just a little bit of that kind of custom tone feel of like, okay, it's not just your standard maple, but it's not so crazy that it can only be used for one or two occasions. It's a really versatile drum. I mean, you could hear through that tuning range. I did high, medium, and low, and it sounded great in all three tuning ranges. Yeah, it sounds very comfortable. Yeah, yeah, I'm listening yeah. To it. and like I said, it, it played really well, and it played well at all three tuning ranges. Uh, so if you want to just be blown away and waste a full half of your day, go to Doc <laughs> Sweeney's uh, website. Let me check that out. I know I had it up here, but and you'll just see some of the most gorgeous wood drums ever. Uh, and he's got full kits too, right? Yeah, I did the uh, I reviewed their their Tiger Ash a couple of months ago. I think it actually is the issue that's just coming out now that we'll start talking about next week. Nice. I think if you go to DocSweeneyDrums.com, the, the the hero image, which is their main image, is the drum that we're talking about. Um, oh, I'm pretty sure this is it. So, yeah, it's um, amazing Myrtle. stuff. And Myrtle. <laughs> Get into your Myrtle. You guys have been missing out on Myrtle. All right. That's enough drum candy. Let's get into some Q&A. What do we got, buddy? So, okay, we've got the first one is this is this is interesting from Bill. Can you talk about the reasons why drummers need more than one drum kit? And can you explain this before my my wife realizes she doesn't need me around to collect my pension? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, well, okay, let me ask you this, buddy. Do you think, let's say you're not going anywhere. You just, you have your rehearsal space and you gig and you take the gigging kit to the, or you take the rehearsal kit to the gigs and stuff. 
Do you really need more than one kit in the exact same sizes? Or do you think you just need maybe two kits of different sizes? I don't think you ever need more than one kit unless you're doing different types of gigs or different types of things. I think if you got the kit that you like and it sounds good, then you certainly don't yeah. need another one. But I just, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, well, yeah, let's admit right off the bat, there is no need. Once you have a decent <laughs> drum set and a decent set of cymbals and a decent snare, you are done. Yeah, right. However, I have 16 snares sitting on a wall in my lobby and yeah, I'm obsessed yeah. with every one of them. <laughs> I think, I mean, the reason. I started getting more drums was because the 20-inch bass drum that came with my Premier Signia kit just wasn't cutting it anymore. It just was too small. I transitioned from doing a lot of big band and straight-ahead jazz gigs and singer-songwriter kind of acoustic gigs to now I'm doing more recording and I'm playing more kind of big rock and and country and Mm -hmm. things where the bass drum was just not enough. So that was the first thing I did was I bought a 24-inch bass drum. I didn't want to go 22. I wanted to go, you know, give me something extreme. Right. so that I mean, it was I was completely content just having my my twenty inch kick and my kind of little jazzy fusion kit. And but as soon as I started getting hired to do other work, or if I I wanted to start getting hired to do other work, and I couldn't I couldn't use a twenty, I had to use something right. else. So that yeah. you know that's for me is number one. Like what what other sounds do I need? And then what am I not getting out of the kit that I currently have? Might be the next question I would ask. Like. Like a, yeah. if you only have a, you know, let's say you have like a Stave Birch kit, and you you know you want to get some of that kind of moody, <laughs> sing, you know, Stave Birch <laughs> kit. Way to go! Way to go, drum nerd! Like I, I literally mean, visualized. I was like, God, that's a, that's a very hard drum set. Stave yeah, I mean Birch. that. I mean you're playing. Say you're playing like super aggressive rock, and you got this Stave right. Birch kit, and then you want to transition into kind of a folky more mellow vibe then you've got to get yourself a three ply vintage kit you know like you're just like counting the band and one two this happened with a, a a buddy of mine he had a rock kit and it was big and it was heavy and he wanted he was just playing club dates and he was you know his drums were too loud and he's like what should i get i'm gonna get yourself an old 60s kit because it's going to have a governor you're not going to be able to play that loud no matter what i totally agree we we you and i both talked about that when uh when you helped amber get me the slingerland snare and then i got the uh, 60s gretch and then that 20s ludwig all of them will only go so loud you know Mm -hmm. and then and obviously you can hit them harder but they just choke they don't keep going with you they just choke out and the tone stops so i totally agree with that that's going to also be part of the rounded bearing edges warming up the sound but i i do think i have a gretch brooklyn a gretch broadcaster and oh, this is the worst crap ever dude <laughs> my new usa custom gets here tomorrow but gretch is flying in two weeks later to do an unboxing video so i have to keep the boxes here without opening them oh come on <laughs> Ain't that some bull crap? Because I, I, I know me. I can't fake like I can't I can't look at them now and then look at them on camera and be like, oh, it's so pretty. Anyways, uh, can you hear me biting my lip? <laughs> <laughs> say what you want to say. Just get it out. 
But no, I wouldn't. The, I would, I you know what? S- I'll be retaping those boxes up. <laughs> I know that, and that I, it, it occurred to me. But, Actually, I would just take a bunch of pictures of the boxes and then leave them set up. <laughs> yeah, that's a, we'll, we'll see. No, I, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. But what I was going to say is, so that'll give me three kits in the exact same sizes, and I can tell you this right now because I have played a USA Custom in my sizes. The biggest difference between those three kits, which are all made in different woods and slightly different bearing edges, is the feel. And the feel, and honestly, the broadcaster is going to mentally make me think, oh, I'm playing a singer-songwriter folk gig because I'm on my broadcaster. (laughs) I would be able to do it fine on the Brooklyns or the USA Customs. So I think it can be in your head. To me, definitely sizes are a big thing. If I only had 24, 13, 18 and somebody wants me, and all of a sudden I'm doing two or three coffee shop gigs a, you know, a month, I'm going to go get a Catalina or uh, the Thomas Silverstar or the Questlove kit. Mm-hmm. So I think having optional sizes is more important than anything else. Uh, you could, with a little bit of gaff tape, you can make the most modern DW in the world sound plenty folky. Yeah, right. As It'll long as fine. it's not like a 26-inch bass drum or something. Well, that, so that's what I'm saying. I think yeah. the sizes are the biggest part. Yeah. But if you had... 2012 14, you're going to be okay for most things. Yep. So. All right. All next right. one is coming from Joe. Um, says, I play in a four piece band. We play mostly small clubs and we don't run everything through the PA, but we record everything, you know, every gig on a little Zoom recorder that's hung, hung from the ceiling of the, the club. Okay. Um, and the first time I heard the sound of my toms, I was horrified. They sound great to me behind the kit but sound totally dead in the room do you have any tuning tips head tips etc for playing gigs in unamplified situations oh man tune what them up you buddy tune them up tune them low. up yeah they're i agree way too low <laughs> and they're probably tuned perfectly for being miked yeah, if you were exactly. mic'd, that'd be flawless but yeah i i'm done i agree with yeah, you tune them higher a lot higher <laughs> <laughs> they will project next <laughs> all right from adam uh, okay, so he is looking at. Looks like he's looking to buy a custom kit with you know all the options in the world for what you can get. So he says, "I'm looking for something that can sound big, wide, and open, but have a have nice punch when dampened down a little." So I'm really just trying to figure out how you narrow down the wood choices and possible sizes on getting essentially a custom made kit from scratch. Oh man. That's, that's, oh, isn't that the worst? How many options there are? Yeah, that's why I tend to like ask the person making the kit what they would recommend. Like, if you there gave you that, that, whoever's building that kit, say, I want something that sounds big and wide and open, but has some nice punch when it's dampened down, he's going to know exactly which wood will get you that and which sizes. Right. I mean, the sizes yeah. maybe not. That's kind of, I think you'd have to figure out what you need. Um, well, and he'd probably have to ask you about your personal dynamics. Are you a heavy hitter? Are you yeah. a light hitter? Um, but I, I think right now there's plenty of options. And the, the cool thing is you actually probably have access to the people that are making your kits. You could probably get a hold of Rami at over in A&F and he would talk to you for a second. Yeah. I don't want to put that yeah. on Rami, but I'm saying you probably could. Or um, what's a RBH? Uh, Bruce. Yeah. Yeah, these guys. Yeah, Bruce. Yeah, they want to talk shop. I mean, especially yeah, well, they want to get you the, the right kit. <laughs> yeah, they want to get you the right kit. Uh, but the other thing is, do your homework. Watch, you know, put on decent headphones and watch Instagram and YouTube videos and find kits where you go that that's what I wish it sounded like, because that'll help the builder as well. If you can send them a sound file and hell, you might even find the kit 
from the company you want the kit from and just say, I want this. And it's like, I, I have done that with Rami ANF. I was like that, what is that? And he would tell me and I'd say, okay, that's what I want that. And I also want Dan Mayo's technique. So send me his (laughs) technique, his skill set, and that drum. His creativity (laughs) and his film crew. I want it all. (laughs) And I need I need some good afro hair and I need to look way better in glasses because I just look horrible. All right, next. Wait, so there's a second part to his question. So, I mean, what was the answer? Ask the guy making it to suggest, but I think... Ask the guy making it and and also find sound examples that you think that's what I'm talking about. Okay. And I would say with the description, big, big, wide, and open, but nice punch, that sounds like just a good quality maple drum to me. I totally agree. I totally think. agree. So, and then how would you decide the depth of the drum? I just say go standard. Go, you know, what's historic... Do. Yeah, and I mean the the standard depth is not only great for sound, but it's great for positioning your drums. You start going weird with your depths and positioning your drums. Maybe you may think like, oh yeah, a ten inch deep rack tom is awesome. I don't know how tall you are. Yeah, ten inch deep right. rack toms are tough to put on top of a twenty four. Better be six nine. <laughs> <laughs> or you have to do Dude. like the uh, the uh, uh, Nico McBrain. yeah the Mickey Mouse yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> But I'm thinking about like Mike Borden's kit. And I'm like, God, you gotta be like six five to play that rack tom. I know that's. I don't understand his setup. I don't know how he does it. I know he's not a we'll giant talk man. About it some other. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's it for the questions. Um, All right, send your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We do have a batch of fresh, fresh questions. I'm, these are still ones we were catching up from several months back. So. We're finally getting called up with all of that. Half those people. Well, the custom guy already has his kid. He hates it. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah never two other guys back. quit playing drums. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're going to get into our picks of the week. I'm going to get us started while Mike looks around the office for his pick of the week. I've got it right My here. My pick of the week. Is... <laughs> oh, no. That's right. You got your Eric Harlan pick yeah, of the week. Yeah. My pick of the week is kind of a game changer because I don't know why I've never thought of this before. Now, do you know what a, a shotgun mic is? For a camera, I do only because we had to use one when we did like basic backstage interviews a couple years there ago. There you go. Yeah. So it attaches right to the top of the camera on the shoe mount, and I don't know why I've never thought of this, but I'm doing those live student or those uh, personalized student reviews now, and I don't want to mic myself up and I don't want to mix audio and video, so I was like, I'll just get this. Now I am an Audio Technica artist, but. I didn't think this mic would ever be featured in any way, so I didn't ask Audio Technica for this. I went on Amazon and I bought it. It's called an Audio Technica AT8024, and it's about two hundred and fifty dollars. And it attaches straight to the top of your DSLR camera as long as you have a DSLR camera, and then you just plug it into the side of your DSLR camera, and it's battery powered. And all of a sudden, you have studio quality miking. Here's the reason I'm suggesting this. One, it's awesome if you talk to the camera because then you're done. You don't have to mix audio. It's all in there. I just recorded my drums with it right before we started this podcast, and it sounds freaking awesome. Really? So if you're looking for an all-in-one solution to make quick videos, decent audio, this thing has a 10 dB pad and a 20 dB pad as well. And it has a a low uh, cut or low shelf whatever thingy. Pass filter, shelf cut, low. <laughs> High pass filter? Which one is it? Thank you. Yeah. I don't know. The one that drops off everything below 40 hertz. Yeah, high pass filter. That's what I was trying to tell you. Step up your game, Dawson. I can't I can't carry you through the whole damn podcast. So, uh, 
Wait, they make that? I'm ordering two of those. Oh, By the you, way, my preamps sound amazing. Yeah, I was about to say, did you did you oh my see the, God. Uh, the note I almost hijacked that? Yeah, I almost hijacked the intro today because I was like, no, screw this. My drums <laughs> sound amazing. I'm doing the intro. Um, so yeah, check out the Audio Technica AT8024 uh, camera mount microphone or shotgun mic. It is awesome. 250 bucks. If you already have a DSLR camera, you already have an amazing camera. And this will give you really good quality audio that didn't clip at all. And it has that perfect amount of compression in it. So your drums just sound good. So check it out. So are you going to be using that for what? Social media posts? What's going to be your goal? Anytime I'm talking to the camera, it'll be that. Okay. I just thought like, oh, I wonder if it's more versatile than this for my students. And it was, and uh, it was amazing. And I'm doing the total, just for any of the Mike's Lesson students that are listening, I'm doing the total late night with Jimmy Fallon thing. I've got my Audio-Technica AT4047 MP microphone in the shot, and it is not on. But it looks like it is, and it looks like, oh, that's that must be what's recording his amazing audio. Nope, it's a $200 mic attached to the top of my camera. All right, my pick of the week is... Uh a record with with Eric Harland on it that just came up randomly on because I, I listen to a lot of iTunes playlists like whatever they suggest to kind of get new ideas and this came up on a, an ambient jazz or something like that channel um, it's Dave Holland Chris Potter Lionel Luke or Luke I don't know how to say his name but uh, the guitarist and Eric and it's called Aziza and if you're Can you a spell fan A Z I Z A all right. If you're a fan of, or if you're aware of Dave Holland, or you're a fan of his writing, it's a lot of really cool bass vamps that are not in four four, but you can't really tell what you know. They just feel comfortable, but they're they're odd times. So most of this stuff has that vibe, and Eric can just kind of you know go in and out of different grooves and different feels. And you've also got the you know the African sounding guitar stuff happening on top of it with Lionel. Uh, it's pretty awesome, and Chris Potter, of course, is an amazing saxophonist. So this kind of like a, as you were referencing it's a good kind of i don't really like jazz but i like creative instrumental music right this has that vibe because it's it's not it's not swinging per se but it's it's still jazz yeah so. and you know what guys i mean just jump on itunes and type the stuff in because the best thing that's ever going to happen is the little thing right below the album that says albums you may also like. Yep, totally. I, I just looked at what it pulled up and it's like, yeah, those are all my favorite albums that aren't that are jazz, but I don't consider them to be like swing jazz. Yep. And so it just it'll take you on a journey and, and there's you can open your mind. Yeah. So that one I love. And there's also another one called Prism. Um, oh, yeah. Prism is great. I don't. I think that's a different band, but it's Dave Holland, Eric Harlan, Craig Taborn, and Kevin Eubanks. So that's that's kind of more of like a like a jazz fusion, you know, modern fusion thing. This Aziza has it just has more of like an organic. I think because of Lionel's guitar sound, it's more of like an organic right. kind of sound. Super mm-hmm. cool. So those are my two suggestions. Pick of the week. Boom. Um, who's our outro groove? We've got. Oh, this is an interesting one. We've got Steve, right? So Steve, yeah, recorded, Steve is going old school. How did he record this thing? He did 1990s Apple laptop or Mac. <laughs> I love it. So he recorded. Gosh, how did he do this? It kind of confused me. He okay. So he's recording this with his drums and <laughs> with his drums. <laughs> All right, let's start over. 
Okay, so he played this uh, through a lo-fi Apple computer external microphone from the 90s. Right. Placed at the other side of the room. Yeah, and no preamp, just plugged Directly straight into Directly plugged his in, no preamp, yeah. <laughs> so this is, and then hey, this he's is going your, uh, Logic Pro. your 90s Premier Genista in the oh, green finish. In the same color, the yeah. same color that I had. <laughs> Take it. All right, so let's check it out. Let's, let's end the show with some more creative tips. So we'll see you next week. Later.